hasn't changed. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so, um, I'm going to be talking about a research project that I did while I was uh, in uh, Washington. Um, it was with the University of Washington Occupational and Environmental Medicine Department for two weeks. And so uh, they brought up uh, me to think of a project idea. And so from different people that I talked to here in Tulsa, they've been like, oh, you live really close to the refinery. Oh, there's a smell from the refinery. There's this or that for the refinery. And I had never lived close to the refinery and I've never looked at exposures that could be associated from the refinery. And based on my background, which was environmental and occupational health, um, which is what I did before med school, I was like, oh yes, that would be very interesting to uh, look into that. So um, that is exactly what I'm going to try to do with this presentation. Feel free to interrupt me at any point. Uh, I might use some jargon, and so feel free to be like, hey, what is that? And some of it I'll work to explain, like it'll be up there, but I either on that slide or the next slide. Um, and so these are some of the objectives that I came up that probably things that you'll uh, be able to gather from this presentation. So the two questions that I came up with to be able to explain or to um, work to answer with the presentation or with the research was how do exposures from refineries in and near Tulsa, Oklahoma affect the health of the population? And what is the difference in health impacts based on differences in proximity from the refinery? So when I dove into the research, they, uh, I found that it was actually difficult to quantify or to find the exact answers. Um, but I found a lot of interesting data, and so we'll go into that. You'll see that there's a little schematic uh, here of Oklahoma. And so this uh, shows the different sources of pollutants. And you can see that the one that has the most green on it, that's Tulsa. And so um, this refinery that we're going to focus on, the Tulsa West refinery, is just one of those green dots of the many, right? So there's a lot of industry here, which we're thankful for. It provides jobs and allows people to be able to live here. But there are uh, potential sources of uh, pollutants, and so we'll look into that first. So to talk about the petroleum industry, so what is it? Uh, so it involves refining of crude petroleum and processing of gas into multiple products. Um, and then it also involves the di distribution and marketing of those petroleum-derived products. These are volatile organic compounds, sulfur oxides, hydrogen sulfide, particulate matter, and others. And you can have these from the leakage uh, of different uh, parts of the process, from venting or evaporation of the raw materials, or actually from the finished products. I thought that was very interesting. And like I mentioned before, so there are definitely benefits that we have refining, right? People have jobs. Um, the American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers report that $600 billion are contributed into the uh, U.S. economy from refining. Uh, help, uh, petroleum products help to enhance manufacturing. And uh, with the uh, expansion of the petroleum industry, uh, the U.S. is able to export uh, petroleum, and so it helps the global market as well. 
the big things that are produced are uh, plastics, synthetic rubber, solvents, fertilizers, pharmaceuticals, additives, explosives, and adhesives. Yeah, so we'll get into that. Great question. <laughs> yes, that's exactly why I thought about this. Like, what is going on? So we'll talk about that more. Uh, this is a schematic that represents what happens in petroleum refining. Simple, right? <laughs> Not really. It looks pretty complicated. So you'll see that the things that circled in red are those that actually happen at the Tulsa West Refinery, so right in our backyard, um, in addition to the lube extraction unit and the MEKD waxing. Uh, and here is a different slide that shows exactly what happens at the Tulsa West Refinery. And I cannot tell you exactly everything that happens in each process, but I know that there are specific things that can result from these processes. And here's a nice picture of the Tulsa West Refinery and then the city in the background. Interestingly, the in integrated crude processes being rate for um, the, at this refinery is approximately 125,000 barrels per uh, stream day. So that's a lot. Um, so why did I look into this? So kind of like um, be alluded to, or Dr. Abraham, she said, hey, what about that huge smoke um, that we see sometimes? And so here are some pictures from the news uh, from uh, actually an explosion that occurred. So it was definitely a bigger plume of smoke that was emitted that time. Uh, so it's close to the city. We can smell it. We can see it. Um, there are potential exposures. And there was a survey done in the West Tulsa neighborhood that was reported on uh, February 25th, 2020 uh, by Moran. The survey was done by Moran and Mitchell. They worked with the Alliance of Nurses for Healthy Environments. And they found that greater than 80% of the West Tulsa residents who were surveyed thought there was a problem. And more than 90% thought that they were affected by the refinery. Um, and so this was on channel two and eight news. And then Fox 23, you can see that's where I got the pictures from. So the population can be at risk. So now let's take a look, a dive in. So this information is available just with the EPA. So you can just go to epa.gov. Um, and this is the facility summary for the Tulsa Refinery West. The thing that stands out is uh, the thing that's in red, right? So what does this high priority violation mean? And so it's for the Clean Air Act. So it looks like the refinery has been violating this standard for the EPA for 12 quarters. That'd be about three years. Um, their penalties have been $67,500. Um, so unfortunately, this doesn't quantify for us why exactly, tell us why exactly um, they were fined. And I did an extensive search trying to find what, you know, what should we be worried about? Like, what should we um, expect from our patients? What can, what can fence line communities be exposed to? And um, I wasn't able to find anything. And then also um, I had other people help me, those who do this more often. So like the program director at that residency and she tried to do a search, couldn't find it as well. So unfortunately, I don't know exactly what it is that's being violated, but what I can tell you is that these are the specific emissions that have been um, emitted from this uh, refinery. And so you can see, uh, that it's reported in CAPS, HAPS, and VOCs. 
So HAPs are hazardous uh, air pollutants. And so that's 187 substances which are known or suspected to cause cancer or other serious health effects like reproductive effects, birth effects, or adverse environmental effects. Um, and the interesting thing is that these are uh, different like industries uh, or different factories are classified based on the amount that they emit. So there are certain pounds of pollutants that you can see up there. And so for uh, uh, emitting sources, either a major emitting source or a minor emitting source. Uh, and a major emitting source uh, gives off 10 tons per year of a single compound and 25 tons per year of two or more hazardous air pollutants. Um, and so, you know, we, we just know like, hey, this, this is a major pollutant source for our area, or this is more of a minor source. And I think we can kind of look at that from the big dots, right? Like, is this major or minor? Um, and then there are criteria air pollutants. And so that's six pollutants that are regulated under the National Ambient Air Quality Standards. Um, and they're particulate matter, uh, photochemical oxidants, uh, ground level ozone, carbon monoxide, sulfur oxides, nitrogen oxides, and lead. And then VOCs or volatile organic compounds. Those are chemicals emitted as gases from certain solids or liquids. Uh, VOCs include a variety of chemicals, uh, and so they can have short or long-term effects. And so on the next slide, I have highlighted some of the compounds or pollutants that were reported specifically from the Tulsa West Refinery. The ones that are highlighted in yellow were reported twice, and then the ones in purple are the simple asphyxiants, so propylene and ethylene, and I'll talk more about these. And then hydrogen sulfide is one I'm going to focus on as well. So of course, there are a lot of compounds here. And I'll go into some, and I'll talk about some like industry standards. But kind of what you can see, the theme is we don't have specific standards of like, hey, I want to put out a monitor three miles for the refinery, and what should my level be? Nor do we have monitoring stations from the government that do that. And um, I wasn't able to find, you know, we have some air monitoring stations that help with PM2.5 monitoring, but the one in Oklahoma is like on the border of Oklahoma and Arkansas. So I thought all those things were really interesting, right? I think they're important things for us to be aware of as physicians treating people and knowing, hey, what are we seeing? So to go into that, um, I looked up the American Congress uh, of uh, Industrial Hygienists, their limits. So their limits for industry are the most conservative. So these are gonna be the smallest levels um, because they are focusing specifically just on the health of the worker. They're not taking industry and their practicalities into account. When you look at OSHA PEL limits um, or NIOSH limits, um, so OSHA more so works with industry to make sure that the uh, standards are more feasible for that industry. So like, hey, like we've always been doing this process. We can't really get something or it'd be really expensive and we couldn't um, make a profit if we tried to go at this level. And so they work with the industry to make sure that the level is um, safe, relatively safe. Uh, so looking at this, so you'll see for acrolein, uh, it has a STL and a C next to it. So the STL is a threshold limit value for short-term exposure or a short-term exposure limit. 
And so that's the limit that you have in the uh, like in 15 minutes. You don't want to exceed this. And then the threshold scoring value, so the C, is the uh, amount that you never want to exceed. So you never want to go over 0.1 parts per million. And the adverse effects of being exposed to acrolein are eye or, or upper respiratory throat irritation, pulmonary edema, and pulmonary emphysema. Um, for ammonia, it has a TWA. So what does that mean? That's a time-weighted average over eight hours of a level you shouldn't exceed. And so for that, it's 25 parts per million. And then the uh, short-term exposure limit, so the one you're not supposed to exceed in 15 minutes in that workday, is 35 parts per million. And you can have adverse effects of eye damage um, or upper respiratory throat irritation. So you can see the limits for the other compounds. The ones that are highlighted in blue are the ones that were specifically called out in some of the literature that was reviewed. And so the... Um, the list of adverse effects just from these chosen ones from that list are pretty varied. So some are more long-term, right? Like um, arsenic lung cancer, that takes some time to develop or like leukemia from benzene. Um, and then the from biphenyl, pulmonary function or cadmium causing kidney damage, specifically nephropathy. Um, and then carbon disulfide, a peripheral nervous system impairment, ethylbenzene. Um, upper respiratory tract irritation, kidney damage, nephropathy, um, so specifically nephropathy or co cochlear impairment, with toluene, visual impairment, female reproductive effects, or pregnancy loss, and then xylene, upper respiratory uh, tract and eye irritation or CNS impairment. Are any of these things eye-opening or things you've ever thought about? Yes. Did you say these are all... Um, chemicals that are, yeah, chemicals um, from Tulsa, like from the Tulsa refinery. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, so these are the reported pollutants. So, so yes, yes. So if we go back to this slide, so these are the pollutants that are reported from the EPA um, and the different limits from like that website where we looked at. So back here, the uh, factory facility summary. And so with this, they report this, and that's where my data is from. And then those are just some of the compounds that are um, present release. Yes. And so just to clarify, putting a couple things together. So we so the so the Tulsa refinery is in violation somehow. We don't know exactly what. And so that means that some of these limits they are over the ceiling. Yeah. We can't we can't do that because we don't we don't have standards. So these that's a great question. These are workplace limits. So these are limits like, hey, someone's doing a job and you go and you um, get air samples and you see what the parts per million of that specific compound were in that air sample. And these are some of the limits. So like, let's say you're doing monitoring for eight hours um, for carbon disulfide. So in that eight hours, you don't want to exceed one part per million on average. Uh, but we don't have these specific standards for like me standing like two miles away from the refinery because they're mixed into our air, right? Um, and so these are just, I went back and looked at, hey, these are the values we have that like we wouldn't want to be exposed on a job in like a building that's enclosed. Um, and so I'm going to talk more about what that means as well. Yes. Is this also set by the EPA? This is this is from the um, Industrial Hygiene Organization. 
So this is more conservative. So these numbers are some of the smallest numbers you'll see. If you look at OSHA or you look at NIOSH, um, you'll see higher numbers from them. Um, these are like the smallest because they're focused more on worker health. Yes. So a couple of slides ago where you had the like high, uh, like in, in red, the Tulsa refinery has like a high violation. Uh -huh. What's, what standards are they using to be able to, to say that? And this, it's not workplace, right? It's, no, no. It's so that's, that's the Clean Air Act. Okay. So the violation that they have for 12 quarters, um, which uh, turns out to be about eight, uh, three years. So that would be the Clean Air Act. Okay. Um, that's, that's kind of environmental more so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so more environmental, more looking at, hey, these are the standards that the EPA has set forth that we're trying to protect people's health. Uh, and yeah, so we'll, we'll go into that. Uh, I thought that it'd be fun at this point to kind of take a break and be like, wait, <laughs> we're talking about so many different things. So um, this is interesting. This is just like an ad for ammonia back in the past where it was marketed as being a cleaner with no hazardous um, uh, documentation on it or anything like, hey, it's like the best thing you can use for cleaning. They had like a five cent coupon that I out, but <laughs> um, I thought that was really interesting. And now we have the hazard labels for ammonia. So things change. And like this presentation, you know, in five years, it can be something different. So that's the thing that's with this field. But um, like for cadmium, so one of the things we went into um, while I was there is we looked at, um, so there was in Tampa Bay, you can find some um, information about uh, a workplace that was exceeding the cadmium limits and just the effect it had on people. But um, looking at the OSHA standards, those OSHA standards were created in like the 80s or 90s and they haven't been changed, although we've been finding out a little bit more information. It's just a, it's a, it's a very small field. Um, okay, so next we're going to go into some more broader health effects and then one more detailed health effects. So simple asphyxiant, so like propylene and ethylene. These are more of a problem if you're in a confined space. If they go out into the ambient air, they're not really gonna be that much of a problem because what they do is they reduce your fractional inspiratory concentration of oxygen. Hopefully there's, a, you know, there's enough oxygen in the air to over, overcome that, so it's not that big of a deal. But if you're in a confined space, let's say working in the wing of an airplane, it's gonna be a really big deal. Um, and, then, and it was one of the pollutants that was listed. Uh, uh, and I didn't include it in this slide, but I did look at um, a, the, the flame that we see. So that flame actually helps to burn off some of these pollutants. And propylene is what they use to measure like how much of it was burned off. And so 99% of the propylene in 2010, when they tested that filter was burned off. However, the efficiency of that degrades as time goes on, I learned. I'm not sure what the coefficient or how, how much that degrades, but that was interesting. And then um, the other, another uh, classification of toxins are the irritant airborne toxins, toxicants. And so those are, there are water soluble and water insoluble irritants. There's a lot of water soluble ones like ammonia and sulfur oxide. And the adverse effects can be tearing, rhinorrhea, burning of the mouth and throat. And then the water insoluble ones are nitrogen dioxide, phosgene, and ozone. And those actually cause more like longer term effects. So they affect your lower respiratory tract 
um, and can cause some possible non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema. Uh, so hydrogen uh, sulfide uh, was one of those listed too. That was the one that I had highlighted in green. Um, so it's also known as sewer gas. It has a typical rotten egg smell, which people say is, uh, or say that it's about 0.2 parts per million. But of no, like we know, some people can have as anosmia or hyposmia. This is not the best way to detect this. <laughs> Please do not rely on that. Um, so for high exposures, you can have rapid loss of consciousness that can lead to death. Exposures, you can have pulmonary edema or acute lung injury. For low levels, you can just have some airway or irritation, burning eyes, and then also some headache, dizziness, nausea, and vomiting. I know that we, like, Tulsa is kind of the hub for allergies, right? And so we see a lot of people with these symptoms. Even though I have a background in this, I can say that I haven't asked people like, hey, have you started working with a new chemical at work or something, right? So I think it's good to help broaden our differential, um, not saying that this is, you know, cause and effect, but just something to think about and be aware of, okay? Um, here is, uh, so now we're going into kind of the studies, some of the literature. What does the literature say? And so there was this very interesting study done um, in tech, uh, studying Texas, looking at the Medicare recipients in Texas. And initially looking at the study, looking at the abstract, I was like, whoa, this data is amazing. Like the plot maps, like every cancer is associated. But of course, when that happens, your body senses go up and you're like, what are the limitations? So um, this study uh, looked for um, increased risk uh, as associated to proximity to refineries. Uh, there was an increase in cancer for lung, uh, lymphoma, breast, prostate, colon, and bladder cancer. And this is one of the heat maps that they had. So this is for lymphoma. You can see that red is the highest, and then it goes orange, yellow, white, yellow, and green. Um, and the, the triangles are the refineries. So um, they, they saw an increased statistically significant risk with uh, closer proximity to a refinery. So zero to 10 miles and then 10 to 20 miles. Uh, for, so this is just one of, one of the um, data sets that I took out. So zero to 10 miles, the relative risk was 1.395% confidence interval, 1.07 to 1.1. Nine, and then for 11 to 20 miles, relative risk of 1.04 with confidence interval of 1.0 to 1.11. So the con confounders that they did adjust for were smoking and 2.5, so just regular air pollution. Um, and then the limitations were many. So they used zip codes as markers of socioeconomic status, um, not more detailed ones. They only looked at people who were covered by Medicare. They had no individual exposure data or duration and prior residence. So how long they had lived at this specific place or how long you know, they had moved and now lived there. And so again, county level data and they had a selection bias. So I think looking at this data with a grain of salt, <laughs> but seeing that there might be some association. Um, here is just a more uh, broad study looking at Ecologic malignancies in residents uh, living near And so it looked as the, the risk for leukemia uh, was most increased with um, closer proximity. 
And then some other literature. So it appeared there was higher lung cancer mortality risks among uh, res residents in a meta analysis that was completed. However, it was not uh, statistically significant. And then there was a systemic re uh, review and meta analysis that studied uh, petrochemical worker cancer incident. So, again, this is looking at the worker, not ambient air exposure. And so there were some increased risks. Um, with mesothelioma, skin melanoma, multiple myeloma, prostate and urinary uh, bladder cancer. However, I get that study. Not sure if, you know, we can't really generalize it to the public. Um, a interestingly, a study in Sweden found no association with lung cancer and petrochemical exposures. And their study actually had like air quality monitoring. Um, in the community. So it seems to be a great study that they did. However, I'm not sure what Sweden's regulations are. Some places have higher uh, or more stringent regulations on pollutants um, emitted from different industries. So this is just, hey, now let's look at the data for Tulsa County. Um, and this is available just if you look at the cancer, Oklahoma Cancer Registry and you try to look up these values. Um, so the, for Oklahoma, the age-adjusted cancer rate um, was 35.6 for lymphomas and leukemias. While the, so that's the state of Oklahoma, while for Tulsa, it seemed to be a little bit higher. So the age-adjusted uh, cancer rate was 38.7. Um, and then looking at all types of cancer. It appears that for Oklahoma State, uh, it was 503, while the age-adjusted cancer rate was 530. It's also close, right? But there are so many things that we would have to look at that can make that number um, go up. But just an interesting point. So mainly takeaways. The um, petrochemical industry emissions can potentially affect fence line communities. And we would be considered kind of a more distant, but still fence line community. So I looked up and driving to the refinery, this was very eye-opening to me. I live like four miles from the refinery driving and then looking at like, you know, a diagonal line, it was about a mile. mile. So, oh, that's really close. <laughs> so just knowing that, um, knowing that more research is needed. Um, this is definitely not meant, like I'm thankful that we have a refinery here. There's jobs also, I, I like our, price of gas here a lot better than in other places, I'll be honest. <laughs> uh, and not saying, you know, that that's a clear reflection on that. But um, in terms of us as physicians, I think it's really important for us to be aware of this. And um, just to know, like, if there is an explosion of something at the refinery, um, knowing which way the wind is going, and we can look at that, like at airnow.gov. And so this is perfect. So that's from airnow.gov. And so this is just like on May 16th, I was looking at now.gov and I could see that everywhere around Tulsa that air quality was excellent, but then it was only of moderate quality in Tulsa. <laughs> Again, lots of things that can contribute, but um, being aware of that and looking into, or having that in your differential is something that can potentially, you know, maybe there's something that people, they don't have to exactly have a, um, like be at a certain limit, but some people can be hypersensitive to certain compounds. And so they don't even have to be like at a high level for them to feel an effect. And so being aware of that is important. Um, more air monitoring would likely be helpful in Tulsa if we had the opportunity to do that. 
And then quantification of pollutants is not done uh, for environmental exposures and mapping is needed. So there's these, this uh, concept called dispersion mapping. Um, and um, there are quite a few people who like specialize. So there are like Ahmed, Ahmed and environmental medicine physicians who specialize in air, air effects. And so talking with them, um, they have a lot of insight, but again, it's something that would need a little bit more than two weeks to get into. Um, the Tulsa population is likely affected, although the severity is difficult to determine. And there's a lot of um, further study potential. So with, with the research completed, um, there was this thing found called toxic oil syndrome. So more research into that is needed. Um, also, there may be an autoimmune disease linked to petrochemical exposure. No, not sure, can't say that either. Um, so there's a lot of um, ongoing, um, so I mean, doing more literature searches and looking into this, if this is something you're interested in, but I think overall, like takeaway for all of us, being aware um, and knowing that there are certain chemicals that people can be exposed to on the job or in their hobbies or um, in their ambient air that can affect them. Questions? You know how this and if it does affect the water supply at all? Great question. <laughs> <laughs> so um, definitely some of the pollutants can affect like the river. And so the interesting thing that I didn't mention in this presentation is there was a Tulsa West and a Tulsa East refinery, um, both that are run by the Holly refineries. And they have now combined all of their operations to the Tulsa West plant and now the Tulsa East, which is right by Turkey Mountain, has become a super fun site. And so they they have a plan. There's like a super fund site. Oh, I was so super fun site is when a site has a lot of pollutants there and they have to do remediation so that they have to clean up the environment because it's not really safe for people to play on, live on, or work on. So super fund. It's like super fun with a D at the end. So there's this there's a long document, actually, if you're interested, and they talk about the different ways that the water runs and the different things that they're doing so that to make sure that the water supply isn't affected, but the groundwater can be affected with different pollutants. Especially because some of them like to be, they're more of like low air. And so um, the association with like leukemia uh, is bound more often at times with kids because they do spend more time. It is thought at the lower, um, like, you know, playing lower, closer to the ground. So reverse osmosis your water, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> why not? <laughs> Any other questions? Yes. I guess I'm still like stuck on the violation that Tulsa's had for three years that like, so can you speak to anymore? Yes. Like, is there, is there so I was very surprised with that too. I'm like, hey, that's like the amount of time that I've lived here. <laughs> 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 Not to like make this personal or anything, but <laughs> I'm sure, you know, multiple of us have lived here, but um, yeah, I was very surprised with that. My, so our thought, again, I tried to look into it and what I did find was that the same company um, seems to have had a similar violation um, 
in Kansas City. Um, and it was right now they have to do remediation that's costing them $12 million and their fine is $16 million. So if I were to think if they can get away with paying $67,500 for a violation and another one they're paying like 15 million and 12 million, then the incentive would be to do that first. And again, I don't know, I really don't. And like, even for me, I looked at that first. So when I was presenting this at first, I'm like, I have no idea what this, this is like me being just super honest because I feel like I learned a lot from doing this project and doing this research. And I was like, there's CAA, CWA. I'm like, I don't know what this high priority violation is for. <laughs> and the, the director, she's like, yeah, so that stands for Clean Air Act and that's the Clean Water Act. <laughs> naturally makes sense. So um, at least I found that out, but I don't know, definitely more research needed to try to figure that out because all of this data is supposed to be public information. Your other fine was 12 million or it's costing them 12 million to fix it. So it was like, it's costing them one of the two. So it was a 12 and six, 12 and 16 million. So it seemed to me, don't quote me on this because it was like a quick search that I looked and I was like, oh, this is interesting. But I'm like, it's not answering my question. It seemed to be like 28 million. I did talk about it. So overall, I was wondering if the fine is not high enough to make it worth it to fix it. Correct. Yeah. And I'm not sure that might be it. So because you have to look at how much it would cost for them to do the fine versus how much it would cost. <laughs> So what you're telling me is the big public, like the big refinery that is right across the river, mm -hmm. people don't work there? Is that what you're saying? That's the one that, that we don't, that's the one that people do work This at. is the one people work at. Oh, there. okay. I was like. People work here. Okay. It's the other ones that they don't. Yeah. There's one that's like next to it okay. and they, they, they just don't do as many things anymore. They combine some of their processes with this one. And that was really new. That happened in 2019. <laughs> huh? No, nothing. Right around COVID. Yes. Well, so I'm just curious. And this vein of the violation. So, uh, do you? Because <laughs> now I'm curious. You're serious. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I feel like, okay, so sorry, we'll get to your question, but I feel like it's really awesome that there's like this associations of nurses for environmental, yeah, I was like, whoa. Coming from Flint, Michigan, I'm a little cynical <laughs> that we can get much done from the healthy environment, so that's what it is. Yes. Um, right, the, so, so basically, is there, are there like, um, like, what is, like, are there ombudspersons for, like, our environmental safety, like, through these companies or through, like, I mean, honestly, I don't, not that I would reach out to the EPA for that, but are there people who, like, hey, like, we want to know what this violation is, can you tell us, because it should be public information, like, I don't know if you'd come across. Yeah, so, I mean, like, I've interned with the EPA before, mm. <laughs> but um, you should be able to contact, like, your region, and they should be able to tell you. So like, that's a possibility to find that out. Because like, again, like I said, it should be public information. Um, in terms of like an environmental ombudsman, um, I honestly don't know. Uh, but 
I do think that there are points of contact for the for the uh, the industry and for that company. However, like in all the articles that I read, and interestingly, like there are a lot of like newspaper articles about this, um, like Tulsa World, different news things, even more than I shared about. Um, but every time they just say that the company chooses not to talk. And so the company doesn't have to talk. It's the information that's public is the EPA stuff. Mm -hmm. You ever seen Aaron Brockovich? I think I've seen parts of it. I don't know if I watched the whole thing. But Tar Creek, have you guys seen Tar Creek? No, I haven't seen it. Yeah, so it's about Pitcher, Oklahoma. I visited Pitcher. Oh, Pitcher's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Pitcher's really creepy. Anyways, I'm happy that there was good discussion here. Hopefully.